0: And so individualism is gone. You only only have worth as part of a collective group. Okay? So if your group is considered an oppressor group, you're a bad guy no matter how good you are. If your group is an oppressed group, um, you can get away with stuff because it's not really your fault. That's the way it's looked at. But this rejection of individualism... Is called collectivism, and it is popular among socialist and Marxist and communist. And that's uh, whereas individual rights—the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness—because we are created in God's image—that's individualism, where human beings are important individually. So that's being thrown out the window. Okay, individualism is gone, and objectivity is gone as well. And, you know, all you have to do is just read their works. They come right out and say this. Objectivity is wrong. So, in other words, there's no real objective truth. All we have are stories, our community's narrative. And if we get, if our community gets enough power, we're going to force our way on other communities. Okay? So, there's no absolute truth anymore. Um, Each thing is decided by their their community and their community's narrative, and the individuals lose their rights. There's other things. The nuclear family is rejected, Um, and so the list goes on and on. And socialism is supposed to have all the answers, the redistribution of wealth, which never never works, and so far has always led to genocide. Okay, and so we Christians we speak the truth and we love the Lord. But I want us to focus on what the Bible teaches about man. Uh, By the way, many of our churches are caving into this. They call themselves woke churches. And uh, my own opinion of that is that um, they're allowing themselves to be influenced by political correctness and popularity, and they care more uh, about being loved and accepted by man than they do about being obedient to God and His Word. Okay? And so uh, for some churches, just building their own kingdom, filling up the seats, paying the bills, that's more important than being true to the Lord. Okay? And um, I, I don't ever want us to get to that point. So one of the reasons why I'm reluctant to get involved in any kind of a uh, mortgage or lease or rent deal where i got to get behind a pulpit and beg for money every Sunday. So we want to be responsible. And um, um, and the, the people at this church, you guys have been given off the charts. I praise God for that. But I don't want us to... I want us to build God's kingdom, not our own kingdom. And there's a lot of churches that, you know, if you're going to outlaw Christianity for preaching this aspect of the gospel, they'll give it up. They'll say, okay, well, we'll... We just won't preach that aspect of the gospel anymore. And a lot of these guys are like considered like celebrities in uh, uh, evangelical circles, and it should not be the case. So what does the Bible teach about man? Like we've got to have the attitude that Paul had, let God be true and every man a liar. So if the whole world disagrees with us, disagrees with God's word, we've got to side with the word of God. We've got to choose which side we're on. And this is going to take courage. This is going to take courage. And but by the way, I'm not telling you everywhere you go, share your opinion, which is based on the Bible at all times and all places. Some people are not ready for the truth. Some people, like that Tom Cruise movie, uh, You Can't Handle the Truth. A lot of people can't handle the truth. So just love people where they're at, pray for them. But as God leads you to share the gospel message and defend truth if God's leading you fine but you need to be in the spirit because sometimes God's just telling you to shut up don't forget Jesus on the night he was betrayed um, doubting Thomas asked him said show us the way and Jesus said I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father but through me great answer later that night the Roman governor Pontius Pilate asked what is truth Jesus didn't respond. So what does that tell you? Jesus was so filled with the Spirit, he knew one guy was ready for the answer, the other guy wasn't. Okay? So it's not our job to stand on tables and preach Jesus until we get arrested, though God might call some of us to do that. Okay? Um, But we need to speak the truth in love. Okay, so first off, where do we come from? We human beings, where do we come from? Well, the Bible does not teach evolution. It doesn't teach that um, we evolved uh, from ape-like creatures, okay? And um, the Bible teaches that God formed Adam from the the dirt of the ground and breathed life into his nostrils and then brought Eve forth from Adam's side. So it's kind of like Eve was like a clone of Adam, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It does not teach evolution. Look at Genesis one 26 and 27 that might be page 1 in your Bible depending if they number the table of contents there but Genesis 1 26 and 27 then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so God created man in his own in, image In the image of God he created him Male and female He created them uh, By the way there's a we're, so we're created in God's image But there's another aspect here That makes us politically incorrect And that is that God gave man dominion over the earth If you say that publicly You're an environmental uh, bad guy Okay Um uh, but the Bible says that God gave man dominion over the earth. And in free societies where man exercised dominion over the earth, it turns out we have less pollution than in other societies where the, the government tries to play God. And um, But whatever the case, God said he was going to make man in his image and his likeness. Okay, And then God created man in his image. Now, in Genesis 2... God goes on to say that he formed Adam from the dust of the ground and breathed life into his nostrils. And then he, he wanted to find a helper suitable for animal, uh, for uh, Adam. But he had Adam name all the animals to see that there was no suitable helper. And then God caused the sleep to go over him and um, made Eve from Adam's side, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. But, um, but we see that God created man in his image, and man was without sin. And because he was without sin, verse 25 of Genesis 1, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. We were not ashamed of who we were. You know, by the way, evolutionists cannot really explain why man wears clothes. And, and, you know, most, well, I can't even say most, but a lot of places on earth, you know, you could say, well, we wear clothes because get it gets cold outside. But in some places on Earth, it's so hot any clothing at all is an inconvenience. Yet human beings still cover their private parts, and I think the only way to answer that is because we we deep down inside we subconsciously acknowledge that we uh, we feel shame standing in the presence of the Holy God. Okay, and uh, but then in Genesis 3, 1-7 we're going to see what, what, what went wrong. So God created man in his image, man was without sin we're all equal in God's eyes this is why our founding Father, Father said all men are created equal and then given by God inalienable rights of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness we have a cancel culture today we no longer have those those, those God given rights uh, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to, to petition our government um, and so we're starting to see those rights go away, but we're equal in the eyes of God, therefore, human life is of infinite value. We're all sons of, and daughters of Adam and Eve. We're all related. We come in a lot of different sizes and shapes. I was almost always the shortest guy. I used to love when Dennis Davis would walk in the room. He's the only guy shorter than me. And um, we come in all different sizes and shapes. Okay, and um, But we ought to appreciate that diversity uh, and understand that we are all part of the same family. We're all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Now, that's not good enough to get you into heaven, by the way. To be a true child of, of God, you need to be in Christ, not just in Adam. You need to trust in Jesus for salvation. We'll get to that uh, in a little bit, but... Um, but mankind was created perfect, created in God's image without sin, and human life is of infinite value. Now what went wrong? We'll look at Genesis 3, 1-7. Now, now God had told Adam uh, in uh, Genesis 2 that if you, you, you're free to eat of any of the trees in the garden except this one tree, the tree of forbidden fruit. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You eat from that tree and, um, and you will surely die. And death means separation in the scriptures. Physical death, your um, uh, spirit is separated from your body. Spiritual death, your spirit is separated from fellowship with God. Okay, Genesis 3... Verse 1, now the serpent, that's Satan, spoke through the serpent in the garden. Just read Revelation 12, 9, tells you that. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, God, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Right there he's misrepresenting God. God's only one tree that you can't eat from. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden... But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, God didn't say, don't touch it. So she's adding to God's word. Okay? Just like the the rabbis of Jesus' day, they were constantly adding technicalities to God's word. Verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you... And that's just a straight-out lie. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked." and they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves coverings. Now, fig leaves are going to dry up, so God ends up putting animal skins on them. I don't think he created animal skins. Uh, I think he probably, uh, you know, killed uh, innocent animals in their presence and then covered them with the animal skin. So without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And uh, But mankind... Fell. We fell into sin in the garden. We are all sinners, and we cannot save ourselves. Now, uh, just um, turn. Move forward to uh, Acts seventeen. Acts chapter seventeen and verse twenty-six. The apostle Paul here is speaking at Mars Hill, Areopagus, a place where the Greeks. It's in Athens. And the Greeks used to debate philosophy there. And he's speaking there. Here's a Jewish guy speaking to the Greeks. The Jews were the chosen nation of God. There was the Jews and the Gentiles. They broke everybody down into two groups. The Greeks broke everybody down into the Greeks and the barbarians. If you're not a Greek, you should be our slave because we're the smart guys. You should do our work so we can talk philosophy and politics all day long. But Paul says this to them. In Acts 17, verse 26, He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. And so we see here that Paul says we're all related. We're all of the same blood. One human family created in God's image without sin, but we fell into sin, Genesis 3, And now, look at Romans 3. Because we've fallen into sin and then we inherit a sin nature going all the way back to Adam in the garden, Romans 3 and verse 10, Paul could quote the Old Testament and say, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Okay, So there's none righteous, no, not one. Um, Then he says in uh, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, Look at Romans 5.12, explains how we got into this mess. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world who was that one man? his name was Adam therefore just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned and then he's going to argue that through one man the Lord Jesus the God man eternal life salvation and forgiveness is going to enter and has entered into the world And so what went wrong? We were created perfect by God. We were without sin, uh, but then we fell into sin in the garden. And so now we inherit a sin nature. The natural thing for us to do is to be selfish and to be sinful and to disobey God. So we all inherit a sin nature, and because of that, we are all sinners, and we cannot save ourselves. Now let let me say this. We were created in God's image, but now we've marred that image. We're fallen. So the question comes up, is human life still sacred? If we're fallen, maybe human life isn't sacred anymore. You just go around just killing people you don't like or whatever. Well, look at Genesis 9.6. Genesis 9.6. This is not only after the fall, of mankind but it's also after the flood it's Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6 after the flood God allows humans to start eating animals before that apparently we only ate plants now after the flood God allows us to start eating animals but then he says, Genesis nine, six, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. So even though we're fallen now and we've marred the image of God in man, okay, because we were created in God's image, human life is still sacred. So even though we are corrupted humanity, fallen humanity, human life is still sacred. Okay? And he said, well, that guy's different from me. Well, who cares? He's a human being. Human life um, is sacred. And so even though we fell into sin in the garden, even though we inherited a sin nature, even though we're all sinners, even though we cannot save ourselves, Human life is still sacred. It is still of infinite value. Okay? And, um, and that's all human life. Now, um, we're going to talk about the solution here. What is the solution to this problem? We were created perfect, but now we're fallen. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of... You know, we're created in God's image. Now we've marred that image. Then when Jesus comes... Colossians says that he is the image of the invisible God so when the God man came he did not inherit a sin nature and he perfectly bears the image of God even in his human nature and then we're told in Romans 8 that God has predetermined to conform all believers into the image of God's son so we once again uh, bear the image of God perfectly only this time when it happens, when we're glorified it's going to be forever and ever okay and, uh, but human life is redeemable, even in its fallen state, it is redeemable and um, human life is sacred now Isaiah forty five twenty what is the solution? because there, here we are created in God's image but now we're fallen so the old testament prophet isaiah one of my favorite verses isaiah 45 in verse 22 the true god of israel is speaking And he says, look to me and be saved. Before that he says, a just God and a Savior, there is none besides me. He's saying, I alone am God. Then he says, look to me and be saved. New American Standard says, turn to me and be saved, for I am God. And there is no other. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. No matter where you are on planet earth. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other you know when the uh, rich man the rich young ruler decided he couldn't follow Jesus because he had too much money he didn't want to leave his money and his wealth behind the apostles thought well if the guy is rich he must be more blessed than God remember the last two weeks we talked about the health, wealth and prosperity heresy the idea that the holier you are the richer you're going to be well, that's false but the apostles bought into that a little bit till Jesus set them straight. But they thought, Jesus said, you know, it's so hard. It's as hard for a rich man to get to heaven as it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And then Peter's like, if that's hard for a rich man to get saved, then a poor man has to stand a chance. They say, Jesus, well, then how can, how can man, anyone be saved? Jesus said, this is impossible for man. Now, if there was a period there, we wouldn't be here today. But Jesus said it's impossible for man, but all things are possible with God. So, in other words, if we're going to be saved, uh, it's going to have to be a salvation provided for us by God. Okay? But let me tell you something. We're all created in God's image, human life is sacred, but we're all fallen, and we need a Savior. We are all in the same boat. And I don't care if the United States government, I don't care if the United Nations wants to turn one group of humans against another group of humans. I don't care which side they're on. It doesn't matter to me. You know, it's for me and my house, we're going to obey the Lord and his word. And God says that we have a shared humanity and we are fallen, but there is a redeemer. There is a peace, the Prince of peace. The old Barry McGuire song used to say and tell us that we should come to him on bended knee. And um, so what is the solution? Jesus is the solution. God the Son became a man and died on the cross for our sins. He took our punishment for us. Look at First Peter chapter two. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Peter, talking about Jesus, he said, "...who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed." And so he's saying that Jesus took our sins upon himself when he died on the cross for our sins. Look at 1 Peter 3.18, the very next chapter. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. The just, that's Jesus. The unjust, that's you and me. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And so it tells us that Jesus suffered and died for our sins. You see, all sin, even the tiniest sin, is rebellion against the ultimately worthy being. That's God. Because God is ultimately worthy, that's why we worship Him. Because God alone is ultimately worthy, that's why you're not supposed to worship anything else but God worship the old English word used to be worth-ship. You acknowledge the ultimate worth of God. Okay? If you love something more than you love God, you're an idolater. But, um, and so, uh, God is the ultimately worthy being. So all sin, even the tiniest sin, is rebellion against the ultimately worthy being. And justice means that the punishment must fit the crime. So we often try to think about how small our sins are next to the next guy. You could, you could do that. You could compare yourself to Hitler and you look pretty good. Problem is, God the Father is not comparing you to Hitler. He's comparing you to Jesus. God's standard is perfection. Okay? and uh, But justice demands that the punishment fit the crime God cannot forgive sin because God is totally just. He cannot forgive sin unless it's been totally paid for. But since sin, even the smallest sin, is rebellion against the ultimately worthy being, if there's going to be a substitute sacrifice, the substitute sacrifice has to be ultimately worthy. Anything less than God cannot save you. Anything less than God cannot save me. Now, there's a problem here, though. If there's going to be a substitute sacrifice, someone to die in my place, in your place, and in the place of all human beings, that substitute sacrifice has to be ultimately worthy. That substitute sacrifice has to be God. The problem is God, as God, can't die, and a sacrifice has to die, has to surrender its life for those as being sacrificed. And so in order to represent man and to die as a sacrifice, God the Son had to become a man to die on the cross for our sins. This answers the you know, with Anselm, it was why the God-man, Athanasius wrote, on the Incarnation, and they were moving their thought in that direction. But that's what it comes down to is The substitute sacrifice to cover our sins has to be more than just a perfect man. It has to be a man who is also fully divine, fully God. And so there has to be this ultimately worthy substitute sacrifice. This is why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, could point to Jesus. The Jews had been waiting... For 2,000 years for Messiah to come. In fact, if you go all the way back to the garden, you got 6,000 years or some would argue even more. Um, The promise that there would be a man born of woman who would crush the head of the serpent but would himself be bruised in the process. The suffering Savior who's going to come and be sacrificed for mankind. And then as time got on and God selected Abraham and gave him a son to him and his wife Sarah named Isaac and the Jewish nation came from him Uh, they were waiting for this coming Messiah this coming Savior John the Baptist was preparing people's hearts for the coming of the Lord the coming of the Messiah and when Jesus showed up he could point to Jesus and say behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The ultimate, ultimately worthy substitute sacrifice has come. This is why the author of Hebrews says the bloodshed of animals never took away sins. God was just pointing forward to the day when the ultimately worthy substitute sacrifice, the Lamb of God, the precious Lamb of God would come to be sacrificed For the sins of mankind. Uh, Look at John three, sixteen. John Chapter Three. In fact, we'll look at verses sixteen through eighteen. John three, sixteen through eighteen, Jesus is speaking, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, if God wanted to condemn us, he would have just we, we condemned ourselves through our sinfulness. He would have just left us alone and then we'd all just end up in, in hell forever. He didn't send Jesus to condemn us. He sent Jesus to save us. Verse 18, he who believes in him, he who trusts in him for salvation. Yeah, you know, we pledge allegiance to the flag, okay? Well, what about pledging allegiance to Jesus? That's what true faith is. Okay? We pledge allegiance to Jesus every time we celebrate the Lord's supper. When you first trusted in Jesus for salvation, you were pledging allegiance to Jesus. He who believes in him, trusts in him, commits to him, um, depends upon him for salvation. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So there's one way for mankind to be saved. And that's through faith in the Lord Jesus. Salvation is by God's grace alone. It's a free gift. It's charity. We can't earn it. Salvation is by God's grace alone. And we receive it through faith alone in Jesus alone. This world right now wants us to either give up on Jesus or redefine Jesus in a politically correct neo-Marxist way. And we got to say no. No. Okay? Like the philosopher once said, homie, don't do that. Okay? We're gonna stand, we're gonna stand for Jesus. Even if it means suffering, imprisonment, and death, even if it means losing our jobs, we're gonna stand for Jesus. We're gonna, we're gonna trust in him. Salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Uh, look at Ephesians 2 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, the Greek word is charis. We get our word charity from it. You know, you're not going to get to heaven and sing, I did it my way. Okay, you get to heaven, it was Jesus' way. Jesus did it all. You know, and we, we, you know, we'll look at a passage like this and say, it doesn't take any works to get saved. Okay, well, yes and no. It doesn't take any of our works to get saved. But let me tell you, the work of Christ being scourged for us, being crucified for us, six hours on the cross. He earned our salvation for us, a salvation we could not earn. For by grace, God's charity, for by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith, not through works, through faith we trust in Jesus. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, and it's not of works. Now, verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, God's poem, or God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus, we're new creations. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, okay? The old is gone, the new has come, we're new creations in Christ for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so never confuse the gospel message don't turn the gospel message into a license to sin because it's not grace not only saves it also empowers us to obey God from the heart so it's not a license to sin and it's not legalism we're not saved by works so Christians do good, good works because we are saved, not to get saved. Okay? Good works are the result of salvation, not the cause of salvation. We've got to acknowledge before God, we are sinners, we deserve the flames of hell, we cannot earn our salvation, and we've got to trust the Lord Jesus. Jesus, I can't save myself. I'm I'm not going to trust in me or trust in other men or other women. I'm going to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son who became a man and died on the cross for our sins. I'm going to trust in Him alone for salvation. Okay? Saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. If you do, if you have really trusted in Jesus from the heart, the Holy Spirit is going to indwell you, make you born again, and he's going to start changing your life from within. Little by little, you're going to be start becoming more and more like Jesus. Okay, and um, so Christians don't do good works to get saved. We do good works because we are saved. Now, once saved, we have to understand that we are one in Christ. Look at Galatians, the book right before Ephesians, Galatians, chapter three and verse twenty-eight. Now, there might be different roles to play within the church. Um, You know, males and females, a big debate about whether or not uh, uh, ladies should be preachers and and, uh, teach and exercise authority over men and all, I, I take the traditional position. I don't understand why God chose it to be that way, but I just accept God at his word. Only male preachers at the same time you know, ladies can, can minister to other ladies, but Paul says clearly that um, uh, in his one of his letters to Timothy that he doesn't allow uh, a lady to uh, ex- teach or exercise authority over a man in the church. So there's different roles to play. The man's the head of the household. The wife is to stand behind him. different roles to play at the same time when it comes to salvation and our worth before God. Paul says this to those who are believers there is neither Jew nor Greek so if you're a Jewish Christian that's not a special Christian if you're a Gentile Christian that's not a second class Christian there's neither Jew nor Greek in the body of Christ there is neither slave nor free so whether you're poor or rich you're equal in Christ okay a guy could walk in here Bill Gates could walk in here Let's say Bill Gates came to Christ. Boy, I hope and pray for that, but I'm not, not holding my breath on that one. But let's say Bill Gates accepted Christ and walked in. He should get no more special treatment than uh, if a homeless guy walked in. Okay? we we got to view people through Jesus' eyes. Okay? And that's not racism. And it's not critical race theory either. Okay? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. So ladies are not second class citizens in God's kingdom. Okay? Neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You're all equal in Christ. and We have to view uh, people that way. So where do we come from? We were created in God's image and without sin. We're equal in God's eyes. We're all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Human life is of infinite value. Human life is sacred. But we fell in the garden. We've inherited a sin nature. We're all sinners. We can't save ourselves. But God the Son became a man and became our substitute sacrifice. Died for our sins. Took our punishment for us. So what must we do to be saved? We must trust in Jesus alone for salvation and then once saved we need to acknowledge that we are one in Christ okay um, I might have a different role let's say you're not a preacher you're not one of the assistant pastors here, you're not the senior pastor here that, whatever mission God has given you, be faithful to it but we're equal in the eyes of God okay and, um, and then we must love all mankind, look at Mark chapter 12 so once saved we are one in Christ Mark chapter 12 and verses 30 and 31 Jesus sums up the whole law in this Okay, this is by the way the spirit of the law the letter of the law, usually to obey the spirit of the law, the deepest meaning of the law, you're also going to be obeying the letter of the law. But sometimes, in order to obey the spirit of the law, you got to reject the letter of the law. Sometimes you got to heal somebody on a Sabbath day instead of resting, okay? and um, But Mark 12, 30 and 31 And Jesus said this. They asked what's the most important commandment? We'll start at verse 29. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So you've got to worship the one true God. And you shall love the Lord. That's Yahweh, the one true God. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. The first thing we've got to do is love God with everything we got. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the spirit of the law is love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? That is, that is our job. One save or one in Christ, but we need to love not just our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five: the world will know that you're my disciples when you have love for one another. So loving other believers will show the world that we're truly Jesus' disciples. But God doesn't just call us to love other believers. He calls us to love everybody. And so we must love God with everything we got and love our neighbors as ourselves. Now the questions the Jews had for him was like, you know, yeah, well, who is my neighbor? Because um, a lot of the rabbis were saying, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay? By the way, we got Christians that think that way sometimes. Uh, We think we're supposed to hate uh, politicians who we disagree with. No, we're supposed to love everybody and pray for them. We're supposed to even love terrorists and pray for them. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, verses 43 to 48. Matthew 5, 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what the rabbis were teaching. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore you shall be perfect. The word perfect means complete, just as your Father in heaven is perfect or complete. So God the Father loves everybody. We're supposed to be like God the Father and love everybody... Even those who persecute us. We're to love our enemies and pray for our enemies. Okay? And, um, and so we must love all mankind. Even the people that don't like us. Even the people that call us names. Even the people who someday might like to see us in prison. In this cancel culture. His cancel culture is a crazy thing. That lady, I don't even know what the Mandalorian is, to be totally honest with you, right? But that lady got fired from it because she made a statement where she was saying that um, this cancel culture treats people who disagree with those in political power treats them the way the Nazis treated the Jews, just like 10 years before they started putting Jews... In ovens. And I'm getting sick and tired of hearing conservative commentators saying that she should have the freedom of speech, though she did go overboard comparing this to the Nazis. Look, you got to understand when the powers that be cancel out one segment of the population because they disagree with them, cancel out their freedom of speech, their freedom of religion. And you can fire them, they can lose their jobs and stuff. That's exactly what the Nazis were doing to the Jews in the early 1920s. The first thing, you, you take over their businesses, then you take over their property, you force them into ghettos, you wall them up, then eventually you imprison them, torture them and kill them. Um, this is why this other guys like, I think he's an atheist. And he used to really speak out. His name is Stefan Molyneux. Um, he used to speak out against Christians and mock us. And as the years have gone on, he says, I respect Christians now. They're the only people that agree with me anymore. But, but he's, like, he's like a libertarian. He's for people's you know, human rights. And he made a statement the other day. He's been canceled. So you really got to go digging to find his videos online. But, but he said cancel culture is a dress rehearsal for mass murder. You see, when you, when you start saying well, people in positions of power, we don't like what you're saying so we're going to cancel your freedom of speech and fire you. Then those in positions of power look around and see how everybody else responds. And if we say, oh, I'm okay with I'm okay with you messing with the Jews. I'm okay with you messing with the gypsies. I'm okay. You, you messing with your political enemies. Then eventually they're going to see. Well, what more can we get away with? And um, and so this is a this is a crazy time to be alive. I'm not even saying. By the way, I'm not even saying be politically active. If God's called you to be politically active, be politically active. I'm just telling you because I'm supposed to, by the grace of God and the power of God and the wisdom of God, I'm supposed to shepherd this flock. And I'm telling you, God didn't call us. To a rose garden, he calls us to this cosmic war for the souls of mankind, and we are going to get battered. If you think you've had it bad as a Christian, now you wait till two, three years from now. Okay, um, I listened to one Calvary Chapel pastor. One of his sermons online. I think he was a little—he was a little late, you know, to wake up and smell the coffee. I was talking about this stuff in the 1980s. C.S. Lewis was talking about this stuff in the 1940s. But I'm glad when when pastors wake up and smell the coffee, but he told his people, I will I will be arrested within the next four years. And I don't think that was really a radical statement. You proclaim God's truth. This, this world doesn't love Jesus. Okay? And some of us, by the way, are going to do just fine. Now, by the way, if God's called you to be... A quiet Christian who serves others? Just just be all that God calls you to be. God's called me to be a loud Christian. Okay? And what is that? The uh, squeaky spoke gets the grease or something like that? I don't know what they... I don't know. Anything to deal with manual labor, I don't know what... <laughs> but, um, but, um, but it's going to be the loud Christians to go down first. Just like with the NFL... Tim Tebow didn't have a few. There's a lot of Christian, most Christian, most quarterbacks in the NFL profess faith in Christ. Um, but it's the ones that won't stop saying Jesus' name in the post-game press conferences. They're gone. And that's that's what happened to Tim Tebow. And I think he made the right choice. Um, but you got to understand, this, this this culture doesn't love us a- anymore. And um, But what, what do we do? Look at Matthew 28. Matthew 28. So what do we do? You know, it's, it'd be easy to say, oh, okay, well, if that's the case, man, I'm just going to hide somewhere, okay? And by, by the way, God might, God might call you someday. There's, I know there's people in this church and there's Christians throughout Washington State who are packing up and moving to other states where they think their freedom's going to be protected more. And... um but when everything's said and done, don't forget your mission. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, followers of Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Now, I would have liked if Jesus would have said, look, make disciples of all nations and don't worry, nobody will beat you up. I would have loved that. At age 61, I do not like pain at all. I mean, I was always a, a wimp with certain kinds of pain, but there was a time I didn't mind getting hit in the face and boxing and stuff like that. Age 61, I don't like pain. So I would have loved if Jesus said, look, you know, Spread the gospel message throughout the world and you won't experience any pain or suffering or persecution. He doesn't, get, he doesn't promise us that. In fact, he promises us if the world hates us, it's because he, they hated Jesus first. So he promises us persecuting. Paul, First Timothy um, 3.12, that all who desire to live righteous righteous lives will be persecuted. So what does he promise us? He promises, I'm going to send you out into a cruel world to preach the good news of salvation through Jesus and yeah the world's going to beat up on you but lo I am with you always even to the end of the age Jesus doesn't say you stand for me and my truth and proclaim the gospel and you love your enemies and those who persecute you and you'll live happily ever after on planet earth no he he, he promised look things are going to get bad but I'm with you I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. So, um, you know, we go through tough times just like non-believers do. But when we suffer, we don't suffer alone. Our king is a good king. Our king is the God of all comfort. And he'll be with us. And we'll close with Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. You know, Peter's preaching and he's telling them that, you know, you've rejected the chief cornerstone, the most important stone in the foundation of God's church, the Lord Jesus Himself. And he says, uh, Peter says in Acts 4.12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is why Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Okay? Let me tell you something. You're going to be called all kinds of names, a narrow-minded bigot. If you say salvation is only through Jesus you're a bad guy. If you say all men are created equal, you're a bad guy. If you say that God loves all mankind equally, God wants us to love all mankind equally, but salvation is only through Jesus, you're a bad guy. We we just got to decide which side we're on. Look, let God be true and every man a liar. Okay? God created us in his image. Human life is of infinite value. Even though we're fallen, salvation comes through Jesus. But we need to love all mankind, even those who persecute us. Even those who are different from us. We need to love all mankind and pray for all mankind and share Jesus with others. Jesus, not the deceptive wisdom of the world, is the only answer. Okay? The solution to mankind's problems is Jesus. Not critical race theory, not white Aryan supremacists, not neo-Marxism, not classical Marxism, not socialism. Jesus is the only answer, the only solution to the problem that we face as humans. So I agree with Martin Luther King Jr., who was a Baptist minister, judge a man or a woman by their character and not the color of their skin okay people are going to call you all kinds of names and you still got to choose to speak the truth in love you got to choose to love them right where they're at even if they're from a different ethnic group whatever, even if they persecute you 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 need to love God with everything you got And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if that's an intolerant, bigoted message, I don't know what intolerance and bigotry means, to be honest with you. My God tells me to love all mankind. And um, who am I to say no to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Let God be true and every man a liar. Let's close with a word of prayer father in jesus precious name we just love you lord but please help us to love you more now that we're saved that we're trusting in in jesus alone for salvation you've indwelt us with your holy spirit and empowered us so that we can love you with everything we got and we can love our neighbor as ourselves so help us lord to love others not just our friends, but even our enemies. Help us to love our enemies and pray for our enemies and share Jesus with our enemies. So please, Lord, help us in the area. And help us to recognize we have a shared humanity. We're all created in God's image. We're all fallen. But Jesus loves us all and died on the cross for our sins. And there is salvation in the Lord Jesus and in no one else. I just pray, Lord, that you would prepare us to not only live for your son, Jesus, but to be willing to suffer and die for the cause of the gospel, if need be. Help us and empower us to be faithful to Jesus, who will always be faithful to us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you.